preach to you this afternoon from the word of our God as you find it in that last part of Habakkuk chapter 3, the verses 16 to 19. And afterwards, let's sing. We have the last part of this prophecy put to music in hymn 14. Let's sing 1, 8, 9, and 10. Well, of the congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it is no exaggeration to say that the last 9, 10, 12 months have been difficult in British Columbia and Canada, as well as in the world in which we live. First of all, if we look at our own province of British Columbia, you will remember, of course, what happened last summer, and you hope that there will not be a repeat this summer that there will be less heat, that there will be much less in the way of forest fires, and of course also in the way of devastating floods. At present, the rebuilding program is still going on. If you drive to Coquihalla, you can see it. If you visit the towns of Merritt and Princeton, you can see it as well. And no doubt it's a process that's going to take a long time, and probably billions of dollars as well. So there's all this stuff happening in British Columbia, but there's also a lot of things been happening in our nation of Canada as well. Hopefully COVID is behind us and hopefully COVID controversies about vaccines and lockdowns and government restrictions are behind us as well. Hopefully we can go on to a more normal form of cooperative, harmonious living and not be so polarized and sometimes divided. In the last times, a lot of damage has been done. And it's not too much to say that still in many places and families, a lot of healing needs still to happen. But then, of course, we're not just talking this afternoon about British Columbia and Canada, but also about the world in which we live. The Russian invasion of the Ukraine a few months ago is still going on, and with it every night, if you want, if you want, you can see the devastation. Bodies lying on the ground, cities razed to the ground, all kinds of armor being destroyed, all kinds of conflict. Truly, it's a terrible thing to behold. Terrible thing in this time of seeing so much through the internet and everything else that we have at our disposal today. So the destruction of war comes into our living rooms perhaps more than it ever has before in human history. And of course, not only what we see in the Ukraine, but in so many other parts of this world, this troubled world as well. Hurricanes, typhoons, wildfires in the United States, you name it. We have it one disaster after another. This country, this world in which we live, always seems to limp from crisis to crisis. And maybe if you add it all together, you say, well, I can't quite remember a time in which so many bad things happened in such a small period of time. So much disaster, division, and death in the world in which we live and so forth. But of course we need to realize, beloved, that there have been many other similar times like this in human history. 
Wars and disasters and earthquakes are nothing new, neither are diseases. Perhaps the only thing that's kind of new is the fact that all of this comes together in a relatively short period of time. And so you can say that, in a manner of speaking, misery is never far away from us. And sometimes you wonder, should misery perhaps have the last word? Is that ultimately what this life is all about? Insecurity, death, conflict, division, and all this sadness and misery? Well, beloved, if we want an answer to those questions, we can turn to different places of Holy Writ. This afternoon, we're going to turn to this ancient, much-neglected, minor prophet. I sometimes wonder what these prophets would think if they knew that they were called minor. Because, of course, that's simply a human way of speaking. They're not really minor at all in the eyes of God. So I want to preach to you this afternoon on the theme, A Prophet's Very Strange Rejoicing. First of all, we're going to look at the fear that drains him. Secondly, we're going to look at the joy that sustains him. And finally, the strength that maintains him or keeps him going. Well, beloved, as our text opens, maybe you can't sense it right away, but if you look at this entire prophecy, you can see that the prophet is a man in trouble. He writes, for example, in chapter 3, verse 16, and here I quote my own translation, I hear and my belly trembles, my lips quiver at the voice, rottenness penetrates into my bones, and I tremble in my place. Obviously, what we have here is a picture of a prophet of the Lord who is filled with fear and with dread, and it extends to every part of his being his head, his hands, his feet, his voice. And you know, in a way, that may surprise us, of course. After all, we, we think this man is a prophet. And when we think of prophets, we think of people who are very resolute and courageous and who speak their minds no matter what. Nothing gets under their skin. No one can weaken their resolve We place them on a pedestal and we think they're a cut above everybody else. But here, you're reminded that's not true. They're human, just like us. They have feelings, just like us. They're vulnerable, just like us. At least, Habakkuk is not putting on a brave front. He is letting it all hang out there. But why? You might ask the question, why is the prophet so upset? Well, you can say, in short, it's because not of what is coming, but better, who is coming. And who is the one who is coming? Well, you find the answer in verse 3. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. You see, God is coming to his people, the Holy One of Israel. Maybe you think to yourself, well, that's not so bad because that's good news. Yes, normally, except now, he's coming in judgment. God is coming in judgment. And what kind of judgment is God going to come with? 
Well, it comes in the form of a foreign foe, a merciless enemy. Look at the last words of verse 16. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come by people who invade us. An invader is coming. A foreign army is going to invade their land, destroy their towns, their cities, and their villages, take away their women and their children, destroy and kill off their men. And if you ask, who is this? Well, the clue is in chapter 1, verse 6. Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and nasty nation. Of course, you may wonder, why are the Chaldeans coming? What has Israel done? In part, you can read about that in chapter 1 as well, where it reads in verse 2 to 4, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. And so justice goes forth perverted. See, the picture that Habakkuk paints here, as well as elsewhere in his prophecy, is that Israel at this time is filled with lawlessness and corruption. It's everywhere. It's not unlike what you see in some countries in the world today. For example, if you go to Haiti, the violence is everywhere, the gangs control the streets, injustice fills the land, and the poor people simply suffer. And as for the law, it's nowhere to be seen. In short, the prophet is thus living in terrible times. And God, and that's the point, God has seen and God has heard, and God is now coming to set things straight. And if you ask, coming when? Well, as far as we can determine from the setting of this prophecy, He's coming in the final days of the nation of the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Probably during the reign of King Jehoiakim, you can read about him in 2 Kings 23 as well as in 2 Chronicles 36. It's a very dark, dark time in Israel. Lawlessness is everywhere. But you know, it's also a time of ridicule and unbelief. Habakkuk prophesied, look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and nasty nation or people. You know, the people of Israel, however, when they heard this, didn't believe the prophet. You know, they, they said, you got it all wrong. Our, our big enemy isn't the Chaldeans. Our big enemy is the Egyptians to the southwest. Never mind the Chaldeans to the northeast. 
And so they accuse the prophet of exaggeration, of being politically naive, of getting it all wrong. But it wasn't true. Habakkuk had divine insight and he knew the real story. He knew who was really coming. He knew the Chaldeans were coming and preparing to attack both Egypt and Israel. And he knew what was going to happen. As the Lord had prophesied, I am bringing upon Jerusalem such a disaster that the ears of everyone who hears about it will tingle. I will wipe Jerusalem like a dish. I will forsake the remnant of my people. I don't think there are any more awful words in the Old Testament than for God to say, I will forsake the remnant of my people. He's been protecting, preserving, defending this remnant for centuries. And now he says, I'm going to forsake them. And that's what makes Habakkuk tremble and fear. If ever there was a time to pull out one's hair and to get down in the dumps, it was then. You know, he might take some small satisfaction that when it comes to political forecasting, he got it right and the people got it wrong. So what? Think, for example, recently of Afghanistan. You know, everybody said the Taliban, the Taliban can't win because you've got all these NATO troops there, Americans and Canadians and you name it, and they've got their missiles and their drones and their tanks and their jet fighters. They're guaranteed to triumph. And soon personal freedoms and women's rights will be guaranteed. And terrorism will be defeated. But by now, you and I know that that prediction didn't exactly hold true, did it? And the same goes in Habakkuk's day. The people assumed it was Egypt. It was Egypt. But it's not. It's the Chaldeans. The misery is coming. Only it's coming from another quarter. And so the question is, how does the prophet react to all of this nasty and numbing news? And it raises as well another question, how do we react as people today when bad news comes our way? What has COVID, wildfires, floods, Afghanistan and Ukraine, and so much more done to your psyche. Has it, and is it about to drive you into despair? 
Woe is me, I can't handle any more of this stuff. I am coming apart at the emotional seams. I am spiraling down into anxiety, depression, and despair. Or maybe you're one of those people who resorts to escapism. You know what you need to do in these times? Turn off the television, get rid of the internet, stop the bad news from coming in. Hunker down in your bunker with a pile of good novels and a good supply of whiskey. And that'll do it. Or do you take the stiff British upper lip kind of approach? No matter what comes my way, I can handle it. I can weather it. I can, I can fix it. I'll be all right. I can man it out. So where does the prophet head in these terrible times? And where do we head in these times in which we live? Do we head for the dumps or the hills? Or into the unreal? Well, surprisingly, to none of these places. The prophet goes elsewhere. The prophet goes in a completely surprising direction. Unimaginable. Listen. Though the fig tree does not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, and the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, And the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall. So talk about economic, agricultural collapse. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord, in Yahweh. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. If you think about it, what remarkable words, especially what comes after that little three-letter word, yet. And even more so if you look at these words literally, because the prophet doesn't say, I will rejoice in the Lord. He says, I will jump for joy in the Lord. And he doesn't actually say, I will joy in the God of my salvation. No, he says, I will spin around, I will twirl, I will dance in the God of my salvation. You see what this is? This is an attitude of exuberant joy in the face of depressing disaster the prophet is saying nothing is going to dampen my cheer my happiness my contentment he's not just going to greet the miserable times that are coming with a stiff upper lip and a firm resolve no he's going to meet them with optimism and confidence Barren fig trees, fruitless olive groves, derelict fields, empty barns are not going to do him in. 
he will still, in spite of all of that, be rejoicing. Now that's saying a lot about the prophet. It's saying a lot about God's people then. It's also saying something to us today, isn't it? Our convoys, wildfires, Ukraine, politics generally driving you into the dumpster of despair? Our life's setbacks and sicknesses, conflicts bringing you low, beating you down, and almost knocking you out. Well, the prophet says, and that means the Spirit of God says, no, don't go there. There's another, brighter, better way. There's a way filled with joy, with rejoicing. Sounds good, right? But just how realistic is this? And how can he be this way? And some of you might even be wondering, what in the world is Habakkuk smoking or snorting or sniffing? What's going on here? Well, take a closer look at verse 16 of our text. Because in a way the answer's there. For what does Habakkuk really say? He says, I will jump for joy in Yahweh, in the Lord. He says, I will spin and dance in the God of my salvation. And you hear in those words how, how this joy that he has is, is rooted and grounded in God. In the God of the covenant, in Yahweh. This is not about tapping into some inner reservoir of secret strength. This is not about doing some kind of special mental gymnastics. No, this is about anchoring your life and your future in your covenant-keeping, covenant-making God. And this is not about Chaldeans or Russians, but about looking to Yahweh. Or if you want, it's not about fixating on COVID or convoys or the Ukraine. But on Yahweh, the great I am who I am. And if you ask why fixate on him, why concentrate so much on him? Well, again, look at our text, our chapter. The prophet says, remember, remember what he did to Egypt. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power, and before him went pestilence and plague. He brought that mighty superpower of Egypt to its knees with pestilence and plague. That's what Yahweh did. 
And look at what he did to Cush and Midian. He, you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation. Or what he did in the promised land. The sun and the moon stood still in their place in the valley of Ahilon. And look at what he did to the nations. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. And look at what he did to and for his people. You went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed. So beloved, do you see how how the prophet is, is concentrating on the Lord? He's saying that the antidote to troubled times and circumstances is not to fixate on oneself or on one's personal circumstances or on the sad state of humanity at large, but on the God of the covenant. Think of him and his power, of him and his great deeds, of his salvation. Think of all that he has done, is doing, and will do for you through his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, when times get tough, the saints need to look up, up to the throne, up to where God dwells, up to where he is in power and might and glory. And are you doing that in troubled times? Do you look up every day? Or are you always looking down? Down, down, down. Do you start your day by looking up? Is that how you respond to bad news? Because, beloved, that's the secret of our rejoicing. Looking up to the throne and him who sits on the throne and who never ever forsakes his people that's the secret and in a way it's also the secret of moving on and going forward Look at the last words of our text. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on high places. First notice, this, this is a word of confession. Habakkuk says, perhaps he even shouts, God, Yahweh, is my strength. It's very personal. It comes from the heart. You know, later on, the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, what you need to do is you need to rejoice in the Lord always. Not just when the sun shines, not just when your bank account looks rosy, not just when you're strong and healthy and young, but also when you're old and decrepit and poor and miserable. Rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul says, I'll say it again. In case you're hard of hearing or deaf, rejoice 
rejoice. Our life, our hope, our confidence is only ever in the Lord. And because of who He is and what He does, you and I are able to rejoice in the strangest and most miserable of circumstances. And so the prophet confesses. But you know, it's not just a matter of confession, it's also a matter of empowerment. For, you know, when we look up to the Lord seated on His throne and see our life and our joy in Him, then He does things for us, to us, and in us. Habakkuk says, I will, He will make my feet like deer's. In other words, He'll enable me to fly over obstacles. He'll give me the kind of strength I never knew I had. And he makes me tread on the high places. In other words, he enables me to, to triumph over my foes and, and over my fears and insecurities and anxieties. The truth of the matter is that when we look up to God in faith and confidence, he pours down gifts on us. And if you ask what kind of gifts, gifts of confidence and hope, of joy and strength, of courage and boldness. Those are the sorts of things that Habakkuk needed. Those are the sorts of things that you and I need. That all those people who are suffering in this world need whether it are the citizens of the Ukraine or the persecuted peoples of this world, it is God and God alone who can help us through. That's one of the great themes of the Christian faith. We are, in spite of appearances, more than conquerors. And how? Through him who loves us. Christ Jesus who conquered sin, death, and the grave will see us through. Will see us through this often troubled, difficult, challenging life. And he'll see us through all the way into glory. And so together with the prophet, let's confess, the vine nor fig tree neither their wanted fruit should bear. Though all the fields should wither, nor flocks nor fields be there, yet God the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice for a while in him confiding, I cannot but. Rejoice. Amen.